Hey everyone, ESG Energize is sponsored by our friends at mCloud. Their solutions help companies maximize production, automate operations, and optimize predictive maintenance. And on the heels of the Inflation Reduction Act, their emissions management solution is so incredibly relevant. So I would encourage you all to go check them out, mcloud.corp, to learn more. Welcome to ESG Energized, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here are your hosts, Delfina Govia. My name is Delfina Govia, and many of you know me as a partner at Veritas Total Solutions, an innovative management consulting firm where I lead the ESG practice alongside my ETRM colleagues. Throughout our journey on this podcast, we will hear about energizing innovations in this space. And many of us wonder how these ideas get funded. So on this episode, we're talking to one of the driving forces behind a venture capital firm that helps these entrepreneurs achieve success, complete with examples of current startups that are at the forefront of this global shift in how the world produces and uses energy. Craig Lawrence, co-founder and partner of Energy Transition Ventures. Good morning. How are you today? I am fine, Delfina. Pleasure to speak with you. You as well. You and I met a few weeks ago at the Renewable Energy Solar Power Conference, and I was absolutely captivated and intrigued by yourself and your organization. So if you wouldn't mind, I would like to first start with telling my audience, who is Energy Transition Ventures and what do you do? Uh, happy to speak about it. So yeah, so Energy Transition Ventures is an early stage venture capital investment firm. Uh, we invest in companies that are driving or benefiting from the, uh, the transition that really our country and the world is making off of traditional energy sources, primarily fossil fuels, onto newer, more efficient, uh, cleaner sources and uses of energy. Uh, we are based in the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, um, and we are uh, the first sort of dedicated early stage fund in the state of Texas focused on the energy transition. Fantastic. And if you wouldn't mind then, take that one step further and be a little bit more uh, clear for our audience so that we can really understand the mission for this organization is to assist those young entrepreneurs, innovators, what? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are, uh, you know, so taking aside the, the category that we invest in, we are a traditional venture capital firm. So our focus is on finding and supporting uh, with both capital and other forms of support, you know, entrepreneurs starting up early stage companies, uh, trying to build businesses. Um, oftentimes these, you know, the, the, we, we will invest as early as, as an idea, an entrepreneur and an idea. Um, oftentimes they're, they're actually established businesses with products and, and, and early revenues. 
So we are we are focused on that sort of early stage venture capital investing. It's it's high risk, high reward investing. Um, and then you know we have specifically focused on an area where we're very very passionate about. Uh, both myself and my co-founder Neil Dykeman um, have been working in this area of sort of clean energy, clean tech for uh, a couple decades each. And uh, we are we believe we are at the the very beginning of a massive shift in the way the world both produces and consumes energy across every sector of the economy, every country on earth. And it is a uh, it is a you know trillion dollar opportunity financially and uh, an important um, transition for the, for the world as we address climate change, uh, energy security, uh, and many of the other factors that are really front and center in the news right now. Fantastic. And so, Craig, this is, with your permission, I would like to ask you about yourself personally, because one would, Im- would imagine that it takes a lot of experience and thought it to be to go into this space beyond oh this is an exciting space and we just want to be a me too in the middle of it and that was one of the things that I was really fascinated about when I met you a few weeks ago was your own personal story and how you how you got here how you and Neil came together and where your mind was at when you you said you and Neil each have a couple of decades in this space, a couple of decades ago, this was kind of out there. So I would love for you to reshare that uh, for my listeners. Happy to. And yeah, no, a couple of decades ago was very, very different. Uh, <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, so, so going back... Um, so my background's in engineering. I, I find myself in finance, um, not by you know training or uh, or really really had no intention in the early part of my career. Uh, I was a, a hardcore mechanical engineer. I studied at University of Texas at Austin. My first Woo-hoo! job, yeah, I know. My first job at Go Longhorns. My yeah. first job out of school was in the oil and gas industry, which is that's what you did in the '90s when you uh, graduated from. From University of Texas with an engineering degree, it was either aerospace or oil and gas. Those were the the two uh, the two kind of big opportunity er- areas. Um, I, I didn't know anything about really energy, um, but I got a got a quick crash course in oil and gas with a small kind of engineering services company. Decided I didn't like it. Not that I didn't like oil and gas. I just didn't like the job, and ended up heading out to California for graduate school and studying mechanical engineering. Um, going to work for a, a product development company called IDEO, doing nothing at all involved in energy. I was doing <laughs> um, consumer electronics, consumer products, medical devices. And then in the early 2000s, um, a company came in to IDEO uh, and uh, it was a solar company and they wanted us to do some some uh, some work for them on the sort of residential home solar industry, which in the early 2000s was really not a thing. Uh, I mean, you you were a very exotic human being if you 
installed solar panels on your roof back then. Yep. Um, they were yep. very expensive, like ridiculously expensive. And so anyway, so I, 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 this, you know, I was just up in line to take this project that was available. So I got assigned this project and ended up working. It turns out that company is first solar, um, uh, was first solar and is first solar, which is one of the largest and most successful solar panel companies in the world now globally. At yes. that time, they were really just taken off. Um, I worked directly with the CEO and I, I had no idea what a solar panel was, but he showed me and I was like, wait, this piece of glass, basically you just put it in the sun and it generates electricity. <laughs> I was like, it was like magic. <laughs> and here I was, I had a PhD in engineering. I, I considered myself smart. I just had no idea. Right. And nobody had any idea really. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't a thing. So I fell in love. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, I saw a number of things about the technology that having done a lot of high volume consumer products, I saw the path to sort of reducing the costs of these products. And so I started working in this area and we, I started an energy practice at this company, IDEO in, in Palo Alto and San Francisco, California. And I started doing energy projects. I did work for Bloom Energy, the fuel cell company, which is now, you know, kind of a, a large public company. We did work for some of the auto manufacturers on their EV projects, some work for some utilities. And I, I just, I was hooked. I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is kind of act two of my career. I'm, I'm doing energy. And uh, I ended up going to a venture capital firm. This is where I met my partner, Neil. This would have been around 2008. And okay. I was at Excel Partners, a leading technology venture capital firm. They wanted me not because I knew anything about investing, but because I knew engineer engineering and this type of technology, which, you know, they needed someone to help them look at these uh, investments from a technology lens, whether they right. were feasible, practical. And so I ended up spending two years there. That's when I met Neil. Neil... Uh, Neil had been in this space already for a couple years as well, too, and he was a very prolific writer. Uh, and he had a blog called Clean Tech Blog, which in 2008 was probably the most widely read publication in in the kind of clean tech, clean energy space. It was before some of the big names got into it. And uh, so I read a couple of his blogs, and you know, you've heard him speak. He writes like he speaks. It's very impressive and and fast and it uh, really and, is <laughs> and energy and, and information dense. And I was like, holy, this is great. I went and showed it to all my partners at Excel and they were like, oh yeah. And basically it was an article that the theme was essentially Silicon Valley doesn't understand energy. You guys are idiots. Like you're making, <laughs> you're making huge mistakes. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I was showing my partners. I'm like, yeah, look, look he's saying everybody's it. And my partners agreed. They're like, the, my, our peers are idiots. And so we took a different path to investing at Excel. We ended up just doing two investments in the time I was there. One was Sunrun, which is now the largest residential solar company in the U.S. The other was Opower, which uh, went on to, to, to go public and uh, ultimately got acquired by Oracle and, and is one of the most successful software companies in the energy sort of venture sector. Uh, I, uh, you know, basically what happened at that point was Excel Partners said, look, you've been at this for two years and we've only found two investments. This, this is not a good time to invest in these areas. And I agreed with them because 
10 years ago, 12 years ago, all of these technologies were still extremely expensive. They called mm -hmm. it alter they called it alternative energy for a reason. It was the alternate because it was just more expensive. You you sort of, you know, uh, and um and and so what venture capitalists were doing at the time, they were investing in technologies to make it cheaper. Um, but they didn't understand uh, in many cases, the the sort of difficulty and the technical risk involved in commercializing these type of energy technologies. It's not like general tech stuff or consumer stuff where, you know, if you screw up, it's okay. I mean, these are, this is infrastructure. This is energy infrastructure. And, and um, so a lot of that, a lot of that money got vaporized. And uh, I said, you know what, I, there's not enough things to invest in. So I'm going to go work in solar. And so uh, I, I ended up, working for some really good solar companies. One was called Sun Edison. They've since gone bankrupt. Unfortunately, I moved back to Texas to go work for a startup called SolarBridge, which was a power electronics technology. Uh, that company was acquired by SunPower, another larger one. And um, I left SunPower. I found myself uh, kind of trying to figure out what to do next. Neil had moved back to Houston was uh, helping to run Shell's corporate venture arm, doing similar type of investing. And we got together and we looked around and said, oh my God, like the world has just changed since the last time we sat down and talked about this. Like all those technologies that were super expensive are now the cheapest forms of energy you can buy. Solar and wind are cheaper um, on any metric you measure them than, than fossil fuels. Uh, and that's, uh, that change happened in a decade, like literally yeah. happened in a decade. And we're like, okay, now there's actually some real businesses to be built using these technologies, solar, wind, batteries. Um, and we said, actually, and you, what you saw, what you see now and what you saw a few couple of years ago was a tremendous amount of capital chasing decarbonization, ESG, climate, um, and a lot of that was later stage capital that wasn't around the last big wave of this investment when I was at Excel. So growth funds, private equity funds, corporate, government, a uh, lot of money pouring in. But everybody who had done early stage investing had kind of left. Um, they all got burned and they all left yeah. the space. So there really there were a few there's a few really good investors that stuck through it. Um, but there really seemed to be a gap in this early stage venture that the 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 investment firms that were going to help create the companies for these later stage investors to fund. Um, and so that's why we started ETV and uh, that's where we are. So <clears throat> great explanation of, of early investors that wound up leaving a wave of destruction, right? In there <clears throat> financially. Um, and that's just kind of the natural uh, progression Right. The, the natural life cycle of any sort of new technology or new area. And that was what allowed us to be able to get to where we are today, to where the opportunity is is now ripe. Right. For for I, the take. I think I think so. I think uh, I mean, some of those venture some of those venture investments are ginormous company. I mean, Tesla came out of that era. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the most valuable companies on earth, uh, you know, Sunrun. And, and, you know, there's a handful of very valuable, important companies. I would say the, you know, I think 
you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, not exciting to admit, but the, the cost, the, the real driver drive down of cost was China, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they invested heavily in manufacturing infrastructure and they wiped everybody out. Um, right. So all of these new technologies that were trying to make new solar cells, new materials, new battery materials, they wiped everybody out. Um, and, uh, it's, it's for both fortunate for, you know, for the consumers of these, uh, you know, technologies, but for folks who were trying to compete, they just, they got beat. So when you, you're talking about those large companies and the investments made in early days, uh, and you also mentioned your co-founder, Neil Dykeman. I want to take a moment to um, tell my listeners that if you want to read something quite uh, entertaining and interesting that Neil wrote, you can go to the Energy Transition Ventures website and access an article called This is Not the Bush Hydrogen Economy. And in True Neil Dykeman form, uh, as as Craig has explained, he mentions that at the beginning, the investments that were being made in this space were by the big companies, BP, Shell, Chevron. And I think that's an important uh, point to make, especially on this this podcast, part of the Oil and Gas Global Network, that this is not a an either or. This is how both the fossil fuel industry and these renewables in this new world have to to work together and want to work together so that was that's just a, a quick aside uh, there so yeah when and when I when I got into first started looking to solar BP was the the number one solar manufacturer in the world <laughs> so uh, yeah you know that I mean that their scale would be would be viewed as absolutely tiny today but, uh, <laughs> but they were they, a lot of the oil and gas companies were quite early to this but didn't really have the patience to to stick through it yeah so so Craig if we could then uh, take a moment now to help the audience understand how Energy Transition Ventures makes this come to life. You're investing in these these new uh, startups, these innovative uh, companies, these innovative people, right? It's more about investing in the brains and the minds versus you know the company itself. You you help ma- bring that all together. And if I'm not mistaken, there are five focus areas that you guys uh, have for these investments, and they would be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, distributed energy, electrification, mobility, resource efficiency, and enabling technologies. Did I get that right? You, you got them right. And uh, <laughs> many, of the, many of the investments cross over multiple. Those are, those are you know, sort of themes that we believe are you know, are, are, that have tailwinds behind them. Um, and, um, and, but like I said, a lot of the companies sort of touch on a number of those things, but yeah, that's, uh, those are the categories. Okay. So bring, bring those to life. Tell us about some of the companies that you have invested in. Absolutely. So uh, I'll start sort of with the most recent one that we've announced. Um, and this is a really good example of sort of the Kind of the nature of, of very early stage investing. So we recently uh, announced an investment in a company called Renew CO2. Uh, they are out of Rutgers University. 
And essentially it was a team of a professor uh, and two postdoc uh, students who were working on a catalyst, a material that can be used to help convert carbon dioxide into um, chemicals. And so the, the, uh, the initial chemical, they've demonstrated a number of different chemicals they can produce from carbon dioxide. Um, the initial one they're going after is a little, little esoteric for your audi audience. It's MEG, monoethylene glycol, which is a, uh, a precursor to many, many plastic products. So the idea for this company is to make plastics out of carbon dioxide. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of focus right now on carbon dioxide emissions, the yep. impact on the climate. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people, particularly around here in Texas, talking about carbon sequestration. So mm -hmm. capturing carbon and burying it in the ground. Yeah. This is a little different. This is carbon utilization. So it's let, let's not bury it in the ground, which really has no, I mean, it has value in terms of uh, not putting it in the atmosphere, but um, really doesn't, uh, it's not, it's not not a product you can sell. It's really reliant on tax credits or a carbon credit. Um, uh, whereas what Renew CO2 can do is, in that is, is convert that carbon dioxide using this catalyst and an electrochemical process into these essentially plastics and chemicals. And they are, you know, that we, we met them, they're in the lab. Um, you know, they've demonstrated this in the laboratory. And our investment, which is sort of the first institutional investment in the company, was to essentially help bring them out of the lab, right? Get them set up in a, you know, complete their license with the university, which is Rutgers University, get them out of the lab, get them a, a bit more of a team and start working on driving this towards commercialization to where in 2024, 2025, we want to be building pilot projects with customers um, you know, actually producing, producing these chemicals with, uh, from CO2. And so this is about as early as we go, uh, in our investment. Um, and it's, uh, it's exciting to watch. These are really exciting founders. Uh, they're both immigrants. Uh, they, uh, they came here to, you know, to, to study this craft and, and to build something special. Um, and uh, we are really, really excited to be supporting them on that. They just, after we made the investment and they just recently announced uh, Breakthrough Energy, uh, which is a large uh, organization that uh, provides grants to this type of research, just announced they were, they, uh, they were gonna receive a very large grant. And um, so things, things look really good. Customers are extremely interested in this, particularly end customers. So like auto manufacturers, product manufacturers, textile manufacturers who want to be able to tell consumers they have carbon negative product, right? Yeah. Their product actually, like the, the, their product sucked carbon dioxide out of the air and you're wearing it now, <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah. so, uh, th so that's a really exciting one. Um, uh, and um, uh, I'll, I'll talk one that maybe as a little bit, we came in a little bit later stage okay. a, com a company called drone base these uh folks are out of southern california they were at the solar conference that they, you and i were yes, at they had a booth there um they are uh they started out as a drone uh as a drone um uh platform right so if you wanted 
if you were a realtor, say, and you wanted some aerial imagery of a property you were selling, you'd go onto drone base, you'd say, Hey, here's my, here's the address I want pictures of. Um, and they would connect you sort of seamlessly to a drone pilot who would do the job, upload the pictures on the platform, the platform handled scheduling payments, communication, everything. And, um, uh, they they went along and, and grew that business, uh, started in like 2015, 2016. And uh, at some point, um, they started to get pulled into some other areas and realized that business model wasn't going to be sort of big enough or exciting enough. And they started to do more. So in addition to just sort of scheduling the flight, they started to uh, develop some tools to actually... Uh, provide some more useful information from those flights. So they started to inspect solar power plants, wind turbine blades, buildings, rooftops on buildings. And so they built out a software platform that was a full end-to-end. We can schedule your flight and we can analyze your data and tell you what's wrong with your solar farm or tell you what's wrong with your wind turbine blades. And most of their growth was coming from solar and wind. So they realize, hey, we're, we're pivoting this company. We're going to be a solar and wind sort of asset inspection platform. And that's when we met the company. Um, it was through a, a former colleague of mine from Sun Edison who had been, uh, his startup had been acquired by DroneBase. And uh, we ended up investing, you know, this is a company that had was mature, around for several years, had some very strong uh, technology investors involved. Um but really was moving into this new solar and wind area and wanted somebody involved as an investor who had experience in this area. And so, um, and so they're, they're now, uh, you know, they're in, expect, inspecting many gigawatts of solar farms and wind turbines all over the world using this pilot network that they built from their original business model. They have over a hundred thousand drone pilots um, that can, that they can, you know, very easily call into service to do these inspections. And they have all the software to do the machine, uh, the, the computer vision, the machine learning to identify defects and problems. Wow. Very, very interesting because that's in the maintenance. You know, we talk about the installation of these large solar farms, right? And we don't often talk about what it takes to maintain them. Right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, cr- the, the solar farms have been sort of chronically underperforming. Um, yeah. In part because of maybe a little rosy estimates from the, you know, developers and builders of these things, but also because, you know, it is it is equipment that does need some maintenance. And I will say the, the most exciting thing coming out of drone base right now is in the solar space specifically, they uh, have are, are sort of creating a new product that they call the North American Solar Scan, where instead of using drones and sending a, sending a drone pilot out to each site to go do the site, they're using manned aircraft and they're scanning the entire, every solar power plant in the United States greater than, than one megawatt, uh, which is, is kind of a small plant um, nowadays. They are scanning it twice per year um, and creating a database uh, as well as a performance ranking for every single solar plant in the in the United States, and customers can buy subscriptions to that data data service. So they're enabling uh, they're enabling you know the world to now kind of really see how these plants are performing, um, 
and uh, they just launched that uh, this year. Wow. Um, and uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the guests that's going to be on this podcast is an aircraft company that they've they've built an aircraft uh, out of carbon fiber and they're the whole purpose of it originally was to be able to use much less fuel than is required to to be able to continue contribute to sustainability but they're being courted by the government to assist in doing uh, just just that type of work um, nice. to that that type of surveillance work so um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it maybe people will come back I'm sure people are going to come back and look for that upcoming episode on on that particular craft. So you got to give me one more, Craig, before I can, I can let you go. These are, these are interesting. These are exciting. And I just want to say this, this one thing, as you were talking, uh, one of my, my partners at, at Veritas, he has a saying, he says, if you look for the gaps in a business process, in a value chain, that's where you're going to have an opportunity to make money. It's just his way of looking at the world. And that's exactly what you've just described, right? With, with this software that there's a, a gap in Ab the value chain. Absolutely. There, there, there's gaps in that regard. The other thing we always talk about is one thing that's unique about the energy transition is the opportunities sort of lie in between traditional sectors and disciplines Yes. So when you think when you think about um, and and distribute the category of distributed energy is is sort of is is sort of the great example of this. You're dealing with the built environment, right? So you're dealing most most of our energy consumption happens in buildings, um, yep, and in and in cars, right, or in vehicles. So between transportation and the built environment, you know, most of our energy consumption, most of our carbon emissions, sort of ultimately comes there and. You know, getting into those with energy technology is sort of you're 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 entering a just a whole new world that the energy industry typically has not had to deal with, selling to building owners or selling to automotive companies. Um, it's not really been, and so and so you find that the skill set needed is often a, a very multidisciplinary skill set, and you need people coming from different industries to to build these companies. Uh, and so that, that makes it exciting and it makes the opportunity to disrupt an incumbent who kind of can't be that nimble and can't go between, between sectors is I think part of the reason why the venture space is so exciting right now for this. I'll, I'll talk about, I'm going to do two more really quick. So go for it. One is a company here in Austin, uh, early stage company called resilient power. Um, we are, really excited about this. This is a father-son founding team. Um, uh, this is their, their first time doing a startup. Um, the father and son are both very, very strong engineers who have worked in the power equipment sector. Uh, in the case of the father for, for multiple decades, in the case of the son for, uh, for uh, you know, at least a decade and really talented uh, group. And um, they have developed a solid state transformer. And if your readers don't know about this, if you start to search on it, it's sort of a holy grail for the electrical power distribution 
world. I mean, transformers are everywhere. Like as soon as you know what one looks like and you start looking around, you realize they are everywhere. And they're what, you know, takes the power from our power lines and essentially converts it to a usable form of power. Um, and uh, that that like, you know, it drops the voltage and, and makes it makes it, you know, so you can use it in your building. Uh, Everybody yeah. in the Houston area is is well aware of right. tr- their transformers after having gone through <laughs> multiple hurricanes. Yes. And it's always the transformers are out. So so we're right. all aware of them. But solid state transformer. Keep yeah, going, so, Craig. So transformers are, are analog devices. Typically, they're large okay. hunks of hunks of iron with copper windings they sort of do one they're designed to do one thing and they do it the idea behind a solid state transformer is to use sort of digital switching technologies and semi power semiconductors to convert this uh you know kind of bulky inflexible device to a much smaller lighter more efficient flexible and software definable device so so the transformer can do more than just its single task and it can be, you know, ultimately effectively um, smaller, cheaper, more efficient. And there's been a number of, there are a number of R and D efforts, both government and corporate and university uh, to develop these things. They've been incredibly difficult to commercialize for, for a whole host of reasons. So resilient power, we met them, they were working on this and and, you know, it just so happens I have experience in power electronics from my time in solar. My partner, Neil, has been involved in power electronics. Uh, he was a co-founder of a company called SmartWires, which is one of the few solid state kind of grid level devices that have, has been successful. He was on the board of a, a power equipment company. And so we sort of knew what we were looking for when we saw this company and we were blown away. They were farther along, uh, in our opinion, than any of the other R&D efforts out there. And so we we invested in them and what they are using it for. There's a lot of things you can do with this technology, but what we have them focused on and what they wanted to focus on was EV charging. So okay. um, this is a way they're, they're building a solution that combines the traditional functions of a transformer, uh, switch gear, and a uh, inverters and chargers all into a single solid state device that's smaller, cheaper, more efficient, um, and and more capable. And uh, the 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 reason for this is when you when you when people talk about EV charging for like fleets or you know DC fast charging, they always talk about the electrical infrastructure. It's very expensive to upgrade the electrical infrastructure. Well, this is addresses that by making it really simple and really cheap to uh, upgrade your infrastructure to allow this this DC fast charging. Can I dare I ask if you have a target market in mind or a For target this, geography in mind? So right now they're focused on the U.S. They have interest from all over the world. Okay. Uh, they're focused on the U.S. They're an Austin, Texas-based company, so I'm excited to back some Texas entrepreneurs. That's um, right. They, uh, their, you know, their initial customers are buying for the U.S. market uh, for a range of applications, including fleets um, uh, and uh, and just other sort of DC fast charging applications. So when you need a lot of power delivered fast 
in a very efficient, cost-effective way. This is the you know, anybody who needs that. Um, and this was great. Uh, Amazon was a co-investor with us, and Amazon obviously is a potentially huge customer for this because they are electrifying their delivery fleets. Everything from mm-hmm. aircraft, everything from aircraft to trucks to vans. Um, yeah, you know they're they're a large investor in Rivian. They've ordered a bunch of Rivian vans, and they need a way to charge all these things. So. That was their interest in this uh, in this technology. Fascinating. I think we could probably do an entire podcast on that and developing oh, yes. the infrastructure. <laughs> We're going to have oh, to yeah. have you back, Craig. You know that. Big, so you had one yeah. more. You had one the more. One Give more me another one. Is is another full podcast topic. Uh, so we invested in a company called Omium. They are a green hydrogen company. So they build the equipment to produce hydrogen from a n- renewable electricity. And this is a very hot, buzzy area right now of hydrogen. Um, you're seeing a lot of intent, uh, attention accelerated by the recent Inflation Reduction Act, um, which yep. has a, 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 a incentive for green hydrogen in it that never existed before. Um, and uh, so we, we um, you know, as we think about, uh, you know, this sort of energy transition, um, you know, hi- people talk about hydrogen. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. A lot of people uh-huh. think about green hydrogen. They think about fuel cell cars or fuel mm-hmm. cell vehicles. That is one application for it. Um, but the the fact is, there is a huge market for hydrogen today. Hydrogen is a really difficult um, molecule. Uh, it doesn't really exist in pure form in nature. It it is a small molecule. It's hard to contain. You know, so hydrogen is usually found attached in, in, you know, in other molecules, for example, natural gas, which is methane, right, which is carbon and hydrogen. And so for applications that need hydrogen today, so there's lots of industrial applications that oil and gas refining uses hydrogen, a lot of uh, chemical processes, petrochemical processes, uh, Mm -hmm. making steel making glass. So there's all these industrial uses of hydrogen. Today, they make it from carbon, uh, from methane, typically, or maybe even coal, and it releases CO2 as part of that right. process. They, they split it apart. Well, green hydrogen is taking water, which is hydrogen and oxygen, and splitting that. And so your byproduct is, is just oxygen, which is you know, benign byproduct for the, for the atmosphere and, and, and is also a valuable product in its own right. So, the, so this company, um, Omium, uh, based in the Bay Area, uh, long story about how I met them, but the chairman of the board and one of the major investors was my former boss at Sun Edison, um, uh, a man named Ahmad Chatilla, uh, really, really interesting person who's uh, done a lot of great things in these sectors. And, uh, and he brought us in. Uh, so we invested alongside him and another number of other folks uh, uh, they're building a very large manufacturing facility in India. Essentially, as we talked about before, the, the Chinese sort of really took out a lot of the U.S. entrepreneurial efforts in solar and batteries and wind. Yeah. Um, they are looking to do the same thing in hydrogen. They have a big effort in producing uh, these things called electrolyzers that make hydrogen. And so Omium is trying to set up to be competitive with them. And so they, they chose a you know, relatively low labor cost uh, place to set up their, their factory. They do R&D in the U.S. And they have announced a number of huge projects uh, that they're selling their electrolyzers. And the most recent is a 
large green ammonia plant in Mexico to Ooh. essentially create, you know, a green ammonia for, for fertilizer and other applications. Um, so that's a, that's an exciting one too. We're very excited about that one. These are just fascinating. Um, in, in, well, fascinating, wonderful investments for you and just fascinating innovations uh, for those of us that are following this space. Craig, could we by any chance give the listeners a way to access additional information about resilient power, drone base, renew CO2, and omium? Are there links to that on your website? How can we make that information available to my listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, those are on our website, which is energytransitionventures.com. Um, there's, a, I think, a portfolio uh, section where all those are, are there uh, and with links to their websites. Um, and of course, uh, you, you know, I'm happy to speak to anyone interested in those companies um, and make introductions, uh, as well as any companies that are in this sector that are, you know, looking for funding as well, too. And you can you can reach us through the website. Fantastic. Parting words, perhaps uh your vision for where all of this is going. You were the visionary back 20 years ago. What does the visionary have to say in 2022? Um, yeah, it's, it, like I said, I, I think this is, this is just the beginning. I think most of the world, most of the people that I know just sort of in, in everyday life that aren't in these industries don't really realize um, what's happening in terms of how cost effective these technologies have become and how widespread they are. Just, you know, as an example, if you look in the, um, the uh, Energy Information Agency of the, the government publishes this mm -hmm. data, if you look at the new power plants that are being built in the United States, and in fact, the world, the vast majority are solar and wind. Um, and, and then also batteries for energy storage. So grid scale batteries. And I, I mean, it's, it's not just an alternative. It's now become the mainstream. So when, you know, 80% of all new electricity being, you know, all new power plants being built are, you know, solar, wind and batteries, you're no longer the alternative energy. You're the mainstream <laughs> energy, right? The oil and gas yeah. and fossil fuel stuff. And, uh, unfortunately nuclear is the, al is the alternative right now. And, um, and so I think this is happening. It's happening fast. Um, you know, things can only happen so fast in energy. We're talking about major infrastructure. So I, I think we're looking at a century, century, century long opportunity um, as this as this occurs for entrepreneurs and for people interested in working in these areas of climate and energy transition. Uh, that I, 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 I tell my children, I tell every young person I meet, I'm like, if you're looking for a place that's got some legs, this is it. You know, go find a, and there's, there's room for everybody, every type of job, whether you're business, finance, HR, marketing, uh, technical, software, hardware, electrical, mechanical, chemical. It's all, it's all, it needs all of it because it is this multidisciplinary approach. So I think we're going to look back, you know, I, I may not be here for that, but I think we're going to look back <laughs> in a hundred years and, and this transition is going to be done. We are going to be in a, you know, virtually net zero clean energy world. 
and um, and I, I just I couldn't be more excited to be uh, to be a part of it and to be finding these entrepreneurs and, and backing them to to go tackle these opportunities. Craig, your enthusiasm is infectious, and I'm very pleased that you took the time to share your expertise, your knowledge, and your vision with my audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Lawrence, co-founder and partner of Energy Transition Ventures. Craig, thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.